Thank you for tuning in to our Bold as a Lion Ministries podcast. Uh, for more teachings, uh, go to boldasalionministries.com. Uh, we have all of them posted weekly. If you like what you hear, feel free to subscribe to our iTunes, Google Play. Uh, use all those resources, play and download as much as you possibly want. Also, we're running a Project 500 campaign where we're trying to get 500 sponsors at $20 a month uh, to go towards our media ministry so that we can make it bigger and better for you every single week. We hope you enjoy our teaching. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Spiritual gifts. So we're, this is, uh, I think we attempted to do part three and ended up turning into fear of the Lord. So we're going to, uh, this is spiritual gifts part three. We'll come up with a subtitle after we're done teaching. So we'll do a little bit of a recap here. Um, first of all, let's go over here to First uh, Peter chapter four, verse ten. First Peter chapter four, verse ten. And you know me, I never really read one verse. So we're just going to go up to verse seven. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Oh wow! Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Good. Uh, the Lord told me this morning. He said the reason why it's so important to stay, to st- to to to. The reason why it's so important not to sin, okay, is not because God stops answering prayers, but because your faith is hindered because of it. Not that God ever wants us to stop. Um, not that God prevents us from coming. There's there's unmerited grace and you know there's there's unmerited favor there's there's mercy and when he looks at us he only sees Christ but the way our grace is hindered by our faith okay our grace is not hindered by necessarily God God's already done everything necessary to get us access to answer prayers okay we're completely righteous in Christ so the prayers of the righteous avail of much but whenever I sin I'm not living according to my righteousness I'm living living according to unbelief Scripture says the righteous shall walk by faith. So if I'm not living righteous, I'm not walking in faith. You see what I'm saying? So it's my faith that's being hindered, which means my prayers will be hindered. That's pretty cool. All right. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to, to serve. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So he talks about God's varied grace. Um, the word varied means uh, manifold. Okay? So whenever you are looking at your engine, it's called the, it's called the exhaust manifold. Right, so you have your engine blocked right here, right? And then on top of here is this thing, and it comes down and it's your exhaust, right? But on, if this is from a, a side a front view, okay? But if you were to look at your engine block from the side, there's actually a manifold. Okay? And then it goes back to your exhaust. Make sense? That's a real rough drawing, but... Um, <laughs> it looks like cats. This is a better drawing here. Exhaust manifold. So it goes into your... It, that's a real rough drawing, but it's an exhaust manifold. What happens is you're your pistons are going up and down and they're firing off and they're creating exhaust, they're creating fumes um, after they finish um, after they finish, what do you call it? Exploding, each um, piston blows. You know? Right? Then it creates uh, it creates exhaust. 
Okay, it's kind of like when you breathe, you breathe out, you breathe in oxygen and breathe out carbon dioxide. Well, the engine breathes too, and it breathes through the exhaust manifold. The reason why it's called a manifold is because each piston has to release exhaust. Okay, and so you have one exhaust pipe at the back of your car, but you have six or eight pistons or however many, right? So I'm not sure for sure how many manifolds there are, but I'm assuming there's a manifold for each piston. I'm not a mechanic. Let me put that disclaimer at the bottom. Don't call me for your mechanic problems. Um, I just YouTube it. All right. YouTube is my mechanic. Um, anyway, so that's an exhaust manifold, and the exhaust flows through and comes out all in one, right? So that's called a manifold. So the scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 4.10, it says right here, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace or manifold grace. In other words, God has not just one grace. But it, but if you notice in the exhaust manifold, it actually is one, but it's split up in all these different types. You see? It's one, but many. You see? One exhaust pipe, but exhaust manifold. There's a bunch of opportunities for this exhaust. You see? Same thing with grace. Grace is given by God, but there's also a manifold grace, which means there's many types of grace. Right, does that make sense? It's all bought by the blood of Jesus, but depending on where your faith and your knowledge, what is it, and humility. Remember we talked about this. Um, grace comes by faith, humility, and knowledge. It's First Peter chapter 1, or maybe 2 Peter chapter 1, James chapter 4, and Ephesians chapter 2. Okay, I think I got my references right. I'll double check my notes real quick. 2 Peter chapter 1. Alright, so let's just kind of recap what we've been talking about. Spiritual gifts. We talked about how love is the key to everything. Okay, the whole point, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, If I speak in tongues of man of angels but do not have love, I am only resounding gong. So, the thing is, I can have spiritual gifts, but if I don't operate in love. I can have the spiritual gifts, but if I don't have the spiritual fruit, okay, there's no point in the spiritual gifts. I remember when I was in college, someone finally came up to me when I was having trouble with the spiritual gifts. I was like, why do I need to speak in tongues? You know, why do I need to get the healing? Why do I need prophecy? So on and so forth, right? That was just my limited understanding. I never learned about this stuff growing up. So when I started learning about these spiritual gifts, I was like, why do I have to have these? And the guy finally looked at me and said, listen, the whole reason why we even do this is so that we can demonstrate love. We're trying to reach lost people, and we're trying to reach the church. And and, and sometimes, and what these do are these are tools in our belt that helps us build a house. You know what I mean? We could all, you know, go to town with a, screwdriver and a hammer and build the whole and a, and a handsaw and we can build a whole house you know what I mean but it may take us a long time you know but when you start pulling out your power tools <laughs> things get a whole lot easier you know and so that's what your spiritual gifts are your spiritual gifts are especially like some of the supernatural ones okay they are uh, they're 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 a lot more powerful they're a lot more impactful and so we a lot of times can get more things done you got a guy who's an atheist 
You walk up to him, you can sit there and reason with him all day long, and he still might not be convinced. But if you have a word of knowledge about him, his grandma having cancer, and you say, let's go see your grandma who has cancer, and he's like, how the heck did you know that she had cancer? Nobody told I never told you that. But you just know because the Holy Spirit told you. And then you go pray for her, she gets healed from cancer. You think that atheist is going to have a really hard time disputing God at that point, you know? So we have spiritual gifts not to uh, trump anybody, but we have spiritual gifts to demonstrate love. Why? Because the atheist doesn't believe God loves him. The atheist thinks that God's out to get him. That's why he hates him so much. I, mean, I don't want to have nothing to do with God. God's just going to judge me. But if you come and demonstrate love to the atheist, and, you, and, and the spiritual gifts flow because of it, their mind is going to have a whole lot harder ch uh, time arguing these facts, you see? And so, spiritual gifts are only a, uh, a tool to demonstrate love. So, what if you don't have, what if you don't, can't operate in the gift of healing? What if you can't operate in the spiritual gifts of tongues? Well, guess what? Fortunately, you can still love. <laughs> you know? You don't have to have these things to love. Love is the foundation for them for for these things. You see, so check this out. If you don't know how to love, probably you won't be be very good at doing spiritual gifts. Now you might do them because you have faith. Because remember, faith. Listen, love is not a requirement before you start doing spiritual gifts. If they were, then Paul wouldn't have got so upset with the Corinthian church, right? Because they were operating in the spiritual gifts, but they had not love. You see. So you can operate, a lot of people thought, I remember growing up thinking, well, if you want to operate in those things, you're going to have to get down to the fruit of the Spirit first. And they would always tell me, basically, they would say, well, you're not operating in those spiritual gifts because you haven't been perfected in love. Well, first of all, no one's going to be perfect in love. We're being perfected in love every day, all right? So you're not going to get it. Like, if, if you're waiting until you have all your perfect character down before you start operating in spiritual gifts... You'll miss it. In fact, some of the most immature Christians I know are operating in the spiritual gifts, but they're still immature. You see? So love's not a requirement uh, to start operating in spiritual gifts, but love is supposed to be the foundation of the spiritual gifts. You see? You can operate in faith. Why? Because the spiritual gifts don't come by love. The spiritual gifts come by grace. Okay? Grace comes by faith, humility, and knowledge. So, does it make sense? Your giftings come by grace, and grace comes by faith, humility, and knowledge. So, if you... Humility means basically submitting. When, when, when somebody finally realizes, especially if they don't have any religion in them... I, so, here's, here's why I was saying new, I've had new believers operate in, in supernatural healing more than some of your... Uh, indoctrinated religious people. The reason why is because they have no bad theology. They just have don't have any. Right? So a new a lot of these new believers that I've dealt with that operate in, in healing and stuff, they have no theology, which means nothing is hindering their, hindering their faith at all. They're just ready to receive. But then you got people who are indoctrinated with theology. They have all this understanding, but their theology actually hinders their faith. Okay? Because some of their knowledge is twisted. It's not perfect. Okay? So now they got strongholds of religion. And they're not willing to humble themselves. You see? 
Well, I got it all figured out. But they can operate in spiritual in spiritual gifts because they are not humble. You see, you see what I'm saying? See, with knowledge sometimes comes pride. So if you have knowledge and pride, you cancel out your formula for receiving spiritual gifts. You have to have the right knowledge. If you have the wrong knowledge, then it will also hinder your ability to operate in spiritual giftings. If I learn all my life that the spiritual gifts died with, with the apostles, right? Then I'm going to have a knowledge that is wrong, which builds faith in something that's not true. Because I was taught, oh, the spiritual gifts, all the healings and stuff, that died out with the apostles. So I have a knowledge, but it's the wrong knowledge, and I built my faith on the wrong knowledge. And if I become prideful in that knowledge, I won't be able to receive in humility the giftings that God has for me. You see what I'm saying? So that's why a lot of times new believers, they have no theology. They have no understanding. You just tell them they believe it, like a little child. That's why the scripture talks about childlike faith. So then the new believer, man, he's out there praying for the sick. Now here's the problem with the new believer. Sometimes they'll go out there and they'll pray for a sick guy and he won't get, he won't get healed. Well, because they have no knowledge then their faith gets hindered because of their experience. So then they get discouraged. The new believer prays for someone that did get healed. And they're like, ah, oh, God's not real. Even though they'd seen all this stuff. I had a guy, for real, man, he would he prayed for somebody in their hips. She was just going to get hip replacement. She got healed. He prayed for her 15 times. She got completely healed. All of a sudden, he was actually uh, just got out of our program. His uh, his wife had a baby. The baby went into the hospital. Huge problems. Now, here's the thing. He was seeing a lot of healings, right? So this was already testing his faith because it was now hitting home, right? Having troubles with the baby in the hospital, right? Well, all of a sudden, the bills start coming. And he's like, I have no money to pay my bills. And he's been praying. And nothing's happening. So he called me up. Zach, F this. God's not real. Da -da -da -da. I'm thinking, dude, you all the Okay, you new believer. You're going off your experience. Why? Because he had already seen so many miracles, and now this time it wasn't working. So now he's all upset with God. He's like, God's not real. Da -da -da -da. I said, remember, faith without impossibility is not faith at all. You have to have impossibility before you can have faith. Before faith can even work. So if it's impossible, this is the perfect time to have faith. And so he's like, man, I forgot about that impossibility thing. <laughs> the very next day, he got five checks in the mail and paid all of his bills. You see? But the thing is, or that week at least, I can't remember if it was the next day, but my point is, the new believer has childlike faith, but if you're not careful, he won't have knowledge. And so, or proper knowledge, right? He won't have proper knowledge, and so here's the thing. This is why we have to have the promises of God. We have to know the word of God. So whenever we go pray for somebody and they don't get healed, we can just still remember, well, God's not a liar. That's what he said. And I can hang on to it and hold fast my faith and press through to see breakthrough. You see what I'm saying? Make sense? So new believers are awesome because nothing's messing up their faith. But it's important that they get discipled by someone who does know the word and has good knowledge. Make sense? Um. Cool. So where are we at? All about love. Love is the key. It's the foundation for everything. Then it comes by faith through grace. So Romans chapter twelve it says right here, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. Right. But think 
But sober, uh, for, oh, let's go back. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So God actually assigns you faith. What that means is, faith is designed, we talk about this all the time. Faith is for the impossible. Okay? Everyone was designed to enter into impossibility. God has assigned you an assignment of, a, of impossibility. Something that's impossible. God has assigned you a kind of impossibility. Something that you couldn't do. Okay? Listen, everybody says this. Everybody says this. They say, well, God will never put anything on you more than you can handle. That's a lie, and it's not in the Bible. <laughs> That's a misquote of the Scripture. The Scripture actually says, uh, it's actually referring to sin, and it says that He will not allow you to be tempted more than you can handle, but He'll always provide a way out. So it's not talking about you having too much on your plate. What He's talking about is you being able to withstand sin. Basically, you can always conquer sin in your life. That's what that Scripture is referencing. It is not talking about impossible situations. God actually always calls us to something that you can't handle. Always. Now, the, the, the parable of the talent says that he gave them each gifts according to their ability. So there is a certain ability that he expects you to have, but God always stretches you past that ability. And that requires faith, because without faith, Impossibility is impossible to please God because you can't have you can't have faith without impossibility. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So God wants you to have faith, but you can't have faith if you can see it. Make sense? Faith is believing in the thing you can't see. If you can see it, it doesn't require faith. So God's always taking us to a place of unknown, to a place of uncomfortableness, to a place that I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, you know, in my own ability. But faith says, I win. You see what I'm saying? I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what giant is in front of me. I'm going to win. I don't care that there's a sea in my way and there's an army behind me. I'm going to win. Why? Because God has destined me to win. He's destined me to be raised from the dead. So when I face death one day, I know I win. Oh, but, we, but he died. Yeah, but he still won. Conquered the grave. You see, a lot of people think that, oh, well, if I prayed for somebody and they died, we lost. No, we didn't. If they're a believer, they win. I had people, I remember back in the day when I was learning about, you know, church history and stuff, people worried about people being burned up. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to be, it's gonna, you're damned if you get burned up. Okay? Not going to hell because your body was burned after you die. From dust to dust, ash to ash, right? So, if God can take Adam out of the dust of the ground and breathe into him and make life a living being out of him, the new creation is just that. You, your body will decompose down into dirt, and God will take dirt out again and breathe into your body. You don't have to have a body to be resurrected. Amen. Because your body's dirt anyway. <laughs> so, God is going to... My point is, you can't, you know... It comes a point where you're like, man, you can't kill me. 
I'm already dead. Just being resurrected one day. I might be resurrected an hour from then, which will really freak you out. Or I might be resurrected, you know, three days later, which will be a trip. Or 2,000 years from now, which will be completely impossible. You see? No matter what, I come back. So, my point is, impossibility. God, the faith, listen, that's what faith's for. Faith takes you into the grave just to beat it. Faith takes you into death. Into the place of absolute, looks like absolute failure. Why? Because God has destined you to conquer absolute failure in your life. God has destined you to overcome all things. He's destined you to overcome all things. God has destined you to overcome all things. Fear not, for I have overcome the world, Jesus said. I have overcome the world. You have been destined to overcome the impossible. God's called you to something impossible. So Romans chapter 12 says this. Each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. Well, your impossibility may look a little bit different than my impossibility. In fact, it you see what I'm saying? God has assigned you something which is impossible for you. And it requires faith. So that's what he's talking about. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. It's not saying that, oh, I'm going to give you faith and I'm not going to give you faith. You see what I'm saying? No, I've destined you for an assignment which is going to require faith. So I'm going to give you faith for that. You see? Same with you. you see? So each person is different. Each person has a different assignment. Okay? Now, some of our giftings may overlap one another. You see what I'm saying? Like if I'm a pastor, I may be an evangelical pastor. You know? So my gifting will overlap. Or if I'm a teacher, I may be a prophetic teacher. Well, I'll teach, but I'll also operate in prophecy. I might be a prophet, but I'm also a pastor. You see? Those, there's different... Uh, now, those are all the five-fold ministry. But, <clears throat> you know, we, uh, earlier I was messing, I was messing around to the, with James and talking about how, um, you know, it all comes down to love, right? That's the foundation of it all. And so... Uh, when it comes down to the spiritual gifts thing, so we're kind of going into the next thing we've talked about before. Um, well, let's just, real quick. It says right here, uh, for, uh, by, it comes by faith and then grace, right? For as in one body we have many members, and the members to, uh, do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one in body, uh, one body in Christ and individually members of one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Well, remember, grace is... So the scripture says here that you'll have a different grace than I have. Right? And it says, do, do all prophesy? Do all speak in tongues? So it infers that not all do. Right? But I don't think it's saying that that's the way it's supposed to be. I think what it's saying is that every person has a role to play. Every person. Right? 
And you're going to have grace different than my grace at this moment in time. Does that mean that you can't operate in these other gifts? No, there's other scripture backs up how I can actually pursue and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that I may prophesy. And apparently prophecy is the greatest of the gifts, right? It says desire the greater gifts. Okay, so, and we're going to get into that, right? So what I'm, what I'm, the position I'm going to, um, to, to throw at everybody here is that most people, when they come up with the spiritual gifts, they don't think of it as a spiritual gifts list. They think of it as a spiritual disqualification list. Well, that gift's not my gift. Like When I grew up in church, that's how they talked about the spiritual gifts. Nobody came to me and said, well, this is my spiritual gift. Everyone came to me and said, well, I'm not gifted in that. <laughs> Every time we talk about spiritual gifts... That's what people said. Well, I'm not gifted in that. They they use this passage not to build faith, but to crush faith. Well, I guess some people can operate in that and some people can't. Okay, well, this scripture also talks about not cutting away the body, right? Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us let us use them in prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Okay, so it's showing that we have different kinds of gifts. And then later on, it says right here, this is Romans chapter 12, verse 3 through 8. But now I'm in Romans chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. So it's talking about us being one in body. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say... Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body, right? And then it goes on and it says, verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Right? So this, these giftings, okay, so the same passage that people use to say, well, that's not my gifting. Okay? They'll also say, I remember going to a church one time, and they said, you know, some people came to my church, <clears throat> to our church, and they spoke in tongues. I told them, we don't do that around here. You can go down the street and go to that church. Okay, so you're the one who tells me the same pastor would say not everyone speaks in tongues, right? But they don't read the other half of this passage that says, why would your eye say to the hand, I don't need you? So what this, these, this gifting list, not only does it become a disqualification list, it becomes a, a list that divides the body. God didn't, the, the, the Holy Scripture wasn't created, wasn't written down so that we could have disunity. The scripture was created so we could become unified. So how come we have churches that teach this list right here? They teach on this list saying, well, not everybody has these gifts. But what they're really saying is we don't let anybody in our church that has these other gifts. That's what they're really saying. You see? They don't use this passage the way it was intended. The passage was intended to say not everybody has the same gifts because not everybody is operating in the same grace. But, okay, that's what the passage is saying. It's not saying we should kick people out of the church because they speak in tongues. It's not saying we should kick the people out of the church because these people are a little nuts and they're prophesying over people and they're kind of weirding us out. Right? What if I did that to the service person or the generous guy? See, what people do is they just kick out what they're uncomfortable with. We shouldn't be kicking out what's uncomfortable. We should counsel, we should teach. We should maybe refine, but we should never pull away, have the body pull away from another body member because they have a gift. You see? 
and we shouldn't be teaching against it. And that's what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It says, do not forbid the speaking in tongues. Right? But that's what we do. We use this passage to forbid certain gifts. You see? We're not supposed to be... Let me find it. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 1 says, Pursue love. We talked about that being the foundation. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So you're, you're supposed to desire the spiritual gifts. You're supposed to pursue them. Okay? But what people do is, they, first of all, they don't even know what they have, okay? Well, I didn't feel nothing. No, it all comes by faith, not by feeling. It comes by faith, not by feeling. Never once have I felt a gift come upon me. I just had to believe it was there. Then all of a sudden, started operating in it. You see what I'm saying? Belief doesn't require any kind of experience. Faith doesn't require experience. Faith makes experiences happen. Faith doesn't require experience. Faith makes an experience happen. First Corinthians chapter twelve, verse four through uh, thirty-one. It talks about right here, and there are varieties of activities, right? But it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. I believe that that passage is not just saying to each person. I believe that God empowers them in all of us. We can have access to all the gifts. I believe this with all my heart. And the main reason why is because if it comes by grace, if you operate in a gifting by grace, the scripture makes it clear that there's manifold grace and grace comes by faith, according to Ephesians. For by grace you've been saved through faith. faith. Okay? So grace comes by faith. James says God gives grace to the humble. So through humility I can receive grace. For Second Peter says may grace and peace be multiplied to you. First of all, I didn't know your grace could be multiplied to me. I just thought it was just a one-time grace. I didn't know there was a manifold grace, and I didn't know that it could be multiplied. Okay? So if grace could be multiplied, that infers that if I have grace for one gift, and that's a certain level, I could be multiplied in grace and get another gift. Or a manifold grace. If I, have, if I just have one of the manifolds, but I can grow in grace, that's what James says, but he gives more grace. I can get more grace. I can get more grace. It can be multiplied to me, and there's manifold grace. There's varieties of grace. And as long as I have faith, humility, and knowledge, I can grow in those graces, and I can receive those gifts. So basically, whatever spiritual gifts I want to have, if I have knowledge about it, because you can't have faith without knowledge, the scripture says in Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It says, how can they believe if they do not hear? So if I don't hear about it, if I don't have knowledge about it, I can't believe in it. Okay? But what we do is we get wrong knowledge. People say, well, those gifts don't exist anymore. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. In fact, it says where, where, prophecy, where, where the perfect comes, the imperfect will pass away. So as we know in part, and we prophesy in part, right? So it says where there are tongues, they'll pass away. Where prophecy there is, they'll pass away. But then it says where knowledge is, it'll pass away. So a lot of people will say, well, see, the scripture says that when the perfect comes, and so what people will say is the Bible is perfect. Let's put it this way. Our understanding of the Bible. Our understanding of the Bible and how it is, is not perfect. You know? But it is through those things that I, that I, um, that I, anyway, it says when the perfect comes, then the the imperfect will pass away. So they'll say that. Well, this is perfect. Okay? And so then they say that, well, prophecy passed away because we have the Bible now. Tongues passed away because we have the Bible now. Well, what about the third thing? Knowledge. 
Knowledge will pass away too. So you so has knowledge passed away? You know. So you can't. My point is, they use that scripture. I think it's in First Corinthians chapter fourteen. And talks so, about well, when the perfect comes and prophecy will pass and tongues will pass. When they forget about knowledge, knowledge hasn't passed. So obviously, the perfect hasn't come. Cool. So, God uses imperfect things to do perfect things. So, keep that in mind. Where are we at? Totally got off here. But it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone, alright? So, I believe that we all have access to this. I believe that by grace we get all of it, and I already explained all that to you, okay? So, where are we at? Um, love. Uh, we were talking about how... Um, how a lot of people will say, well, that's not my gifting. Okay, well, there's a gift, there's an actual spiritual gifting of, of generosity. Okay? So what if somebody was to say, giving is not my gift, so I'm not going to give to the church? Well, that would contradict the scripture, because the scripture says those who preach the gospel should receive their pay by the ministering of the gospel. So when we are receiving the gospel, we should be giving to the one giving the gospel. You see? Now we don't charge the lost person because we don't want the lost person to have to pay for the gospel. But when we're so when we're ministering to those in need, I don't like to necessarily charge for the gospel. But when we see something that's put been pouring into us, we should give. That's being a good Christian. That's not being a <laughs> you know what I'm saying. That's not people. Well, that's not my gift to be generous, so I'm not going to give. That's a bunch of fooey, you know. Or how about this acts of service? The scripture says. Those who serve, let them serve, right? So, washing dishes for somebody. You're telling me that because you don't think your gifting is serving, you shouldn't wash the dishes or bring me a cup of coffee. Or, you know what I'm saying? These little things that you may do as an act of service. Well, that's not my gifting. No, you're just being lazy. You're just not demonstrating love. What if, if, love, what if love, what if the Bible is true, and love is the foundation of the spiritual gifts? What you're doing, okay, what you're not... What it is is you're not being perfected in love, because perfect in love means that I will demonstrate love in any way that I can. Any way that I can. Well, I'm just that my gifting is not. I don't. I love to help, but my spiritual gifts not helps. Did you know there's actually a spiritual gift called helps? Helps. Helps. I would love to help, but my spiritual gifts not helps. You're telling me. So here's what it is. You're driving down the road. You see your flashers, somebody's flashers on their car, and you never pull over for anybody. You never help them out. You know? Why? My spiritual gifts not helps. No, you just don't love people. You care about yourself more than you care about them. That's the truth. Because love is the motive for the spiritual gift. Love is what's behind it all. If I see the flashers going and I have time, I'm going to pull over and help them. Even if I don't know what I'm doing. Hey, how can I help you? You have a phone? You have a cell phone. Hey, uh, you know, I can't help because I don't know nothing about it, but at least I can, you know, serve in this way. You serve with what you have. But people use these gifts lists, these the spiritual gifts list, as a disqualification list. But the, but no one would ever dream of saying, well, I'm not going to help because, no, dummy, come on, right? Everyone can help. Everyone can serve. And, okay, what about this? Oh, I don't want to share the gospel. My gifting is not evangelism. No, you're just afraid. And perfect love casts out fear. If you loved them, you would go preach the gospel to them. You know? I mean, when you talk about evangelism, people all the time say, well, that's not my gifting. All right. 
So when you're equating what you what you don't understand, the problem is you don't understand evangelism. You think evangelism is having all the right things to say. That's not evangelism. The word evangelism deals with giving good news. So whenever you get a good deal at J.C. Penney, do you text your friend and tell him, "Hey, I got fifty percent off over at J.C. Penney. Hey, you should go over there and take advantage of this deal." Guess what? You're an evangelist. You just shared good news. That's all an evangelist does: is share good news. Hey, that movie was awesome. We went to go see Power Rangers. Man, if you can speak up and talk about how awesome Power Rangers is, at least you can speak up and talk about how awesome Jesus is. Hey, have you checked out this new game? Man, I'm talking with my friends all about this new game. Modern Warfare 3. We're all, dude, that's such an awesome game. Hey, let's all get together and talk about Halo. Man, if you can talk about anything that you find to be good news, you can talk about Jesus. You know what the difference is? You're just not into Jesus. You're into the modern warfare game. You're in it. You're consumed by it. So you talk about it. See, people who share the gospel, they're just consumed by Jesus. That's all. So when someone says, I'm not an evangelist, what they're really saying is they're not consumed by Jesus. Because if, if their thought life was consumed by Jesus, they couldn't stop talking about it. They wouldn't shut up. Just like we don't stop talking about the other things we care about. It comes natural. There comes a point whenever... We are consumed by something so much, it just becomes natural. It becomes natural to pray for the sick person. Oh, you're sick? Here, let's pray for you. Why? Because I'm consumed by Jesus. Mm, such a good word. good word. You know what the spiritual gift things list could possibly be equated to? A consumption list. What are you consumed by? This is why it says earnestly desire. If you want to operate in a specific gift, according to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you must pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gift. So, when you don't operate in a certain gifting, it's because you don't earnestly desire it. Earnestly means that you're running after this thing hard. You're going after it. I know, because when I get prayed for, when I pray for somebody and they don't get healed, I get discouraged, and guess what? I don't earnestly desire that gift anymore. Why? Because I let discouragement get to me. And so I stopped worrying about it. I stopped pursuing that gift. You see? But when I get somebody, when somebody does get healed, oh, I'm like, where's the next one? Right? So I'm letting my experience fuel me, and I shouldn't. I should let the Word of God fuel me. I should let intimacy fuel me. If I was intimate with the Lord, then the love of God would fuel me. The Scripture says that the love of God compels us. So, it's in my quiet time with the Lord, when He says to me, I want to set the captives free, Zach. That's whenever I get consumed by it, and I can't help it. I see a captive, I gotta go set him free. You see what I'm saying? It's intimacy with the Father that actually fuels these spiritual gifts. Why? Because all these spiritual gifts do is demonstrate love. So whenever I practice the different spiritual gifts, they just give me another tool for demonstrating love. It's whenever we forget that it's all in love that we start to kick people out of our church that don't believe the way we believe. When we start coming up with false doctrine to try to discredit certain scriptures. Alright. It's good.